This, 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 we are gathered here today for the Fight Disciples UFC and Boxing Talk. You're listening to the award-winning Fight Disciples on Radio City Talk. Every Tuesday night between 6.30 and 7.30, we get stuck into the Merseyside boxing scene. It's not the only boxing show that we do per week. If you go to our website, fightdisciples.com, uh, you'll be able to get our generic overhaul uh, from the world of boxing, of which will be available to download tomorrow morning from our website, fightdisciples.com. Episode 105 will be there for you. It is called The Truth Hurts, mainly because Errol Spence's nickname is The Truth and he hurt every single one of us, not just Kel Brook, uh, at the weekend. But we'll be talking about him in great depth uh, on tomorrow's show. Um, I suppose we'll start with the undercard, because uh, one of our Scouse lads was on, the, was on the undercard at the, uh, at the weekend, making his professional debut. Um, before I get your thoughts, uh, Nicholas, yep. I caught up with the lad for a radio show that I was doing this morning. Um, because mainly I wanted to talk about his uh, cheeky whacking of somebody whilst he was on the deck. <laughs> um, so if you weren't listening to Radio City Talk this morning whilst I was doing the breakfast show, this is me catching up with Anthony Fowler. Yeah, great, Adam. Yourself? You're yeah, right. I'm well, pal. I'm well. Listen, my uh, producer, Matt, has just told me that you're already in the gym, mate. It's ten past eight. <laughs> you were fighting at the weekend. It's done and dusted. I thought that you'd be on the burgers chilling out this week, fella. You're already no. back in the gym. Yeah, there's no wrestler with me. I'm just trying to make my name in the sport of pro boxing now, so it's... It's all systems go. Because you've already got your next date. You're already lined up for Newcastle, is that right? Yeah, Newcastle, June 23rd. I'm boxing at a next-gen show, so there's a chance to go out there and show what I'm about. Some good kids on that card. I mean, I'm a big fan of uh, Josh Kelly, and obviously he's a Geordie. He's going to be headlining that. Um, yeah. But like you said, next generation, the, the the guys that are coming through. I say coming through. You've been around for time, mate, in the amateurs. <laughs> but you know what I mean? You're just yeah. making your professional debut at the weekend. It's a nice card to be on that because there'll be eyes on there where people probably will educate themselves with the next generation, hence the name of uh, professional boxers. Of course, yeah. Well, it's a big chance for me again. To, it's still a big stage. It's still be televised. So it's a big chance to show what I'm about again. And, this time I want to be a bit a bit cleverer. I was a bit wild the weekend because my first fight I was, I was eager to impress with his next fight I want to show me experience and show a bit more skill and class. Well, let's talk about that wildness, mate, because uh, there's uh, <laughs> I can hear the little uh, chuckle in the background. Listen, boxing, but it's a brutal sport at the end of the day. Boxing's boxing, right? And nobody knows it unless you're actually the guy that steps through the ropes and does the actual business. Now, as I was watching it, I thought, oof, that was a little bit of a cheeky one. And then I checked all social media and whatever, and people were thinking the exact same thing, mate. I know that you've yeah. made an apology regarding uh, your opponent being grounded, but at the time, what's going through your mind? Because it's your first first time out. Adrenaline must have been flying. Of course, mate. I was so pumped up, like the crowd and stuff. was so behind me. I was just so full of adrenaline. Obviously, I've hit the, hit the phones, and he's, he's went to go down. But me being like a bit over eager, I thought he was like ducking, crouching. So I threw, I threw another shot and landed again when he was down. It was obviously an illegal punch, but it was the heat of the moment. Like I, I couldn't apologise enough for the opponent. And um, lucky enough, he got up and cried on because yeah. he, could, he could have made a big deal of it if some boxers wouldn't. But the lad had a bit of heart and he got up and wanted to fight on. So respect. Listen, and let's be honest, if you were fighting a Darrell, my friend, he would have stayed down and you might have been disqualified and you might have been in an altercation with his, uh, with his uncle. <laughs> and I've seen a few comments on Twitter, I was laughing. Even though people were giving me a bit of abuse, I did find some of the comments. <laughs> Away from that particular incident, um, you said yourself, a bit wild because of maybe the occasion. I mean, you're making your debut in a stadium, for crying out loud. Not many people do that in front of 27,000 people. Um 
regarding before we get to the fight bit, regarding the preparation of it, how is how does this differ from the amateur game? It's not it's not much different because I've always trained as a pro. I've always trained like in the amateurs. I was training a few times a day. Now I train twice a day, which is less, but the sessions are more longer and grueling. So it's just a bit it's just a bit different. So I just think now I need to build my stamina. But I also do a lot more technical work with Dave Caldwell now, like hmm. a lot of one on one in the amateurs. I was in a team. So we work as a team, we work together, but now it's more individual for me. So getting the most out of me as a fighter, like I'm getting there, that one-on-one, one-on-one time. As you know yourself, you can go to the gym and work hard, but if someone's there watching you, shouting at you, encouraging you, you always work that a little bit harder. So at the moment, I'm flying. Now, I know that you're self-critical and you're hypercritical of your own performance, but you, I've no doubt you will have uh, chatted to Dave off, off the back of that performance. Where where was his head at? What type of things did he uh, did he mention uh, post-fight? Just keeping me, me head in the game, don't don't lose my composure, don't load up, stuff like that. But I thought it was worse than what I thought. After the fight, I thought, oh, I've just been chasing around the ring there. But when I watched back, it, was, it wasn't as bad as what I thought. I actually looked a bit more composed than how I felt. I think in the ring because I felt so like popped up and full of adrenaline. I thought I was a bit more rushing than what I was, but looking back, it went, it went as bad as what I thought. And that's why everybody's excited about you, mate. That's why that, that's why we love it because you're in there and you, it is exciting. You do go forward. I, I was watching it, and there's a, there's um you've obviously watched a lot of Mexican fighters in your time, my friend, because you, yeah. you you do like to go forward, constantly go forward, and that from a fan's point of view. That's why we're excited about um, your style and hopefully what you're going to achieve in the professional game. Yeah, I'm one of them fighters that I do go in, go in the ring with the intention of knocking their phones out. Not just winning, I do want to like lay them out. Just the, not just for the fans, but for myself, I do enjoy knocking people out, which might sound bad, but sport, I mean. I noticed that uh, there was quite a lot of selfies knocking about as well on social media, mate. I mean, uh, how's, how's the... I say the new fan fame, you've always had the fame over here, but uh, the new fan fame now on a global scale. Yeah, it was crazy, mate. Like, I went a little night out to see a few of my friends. I went, I went drinking, but I literally couldn't move, mate, and, and um, on all the clubs and Sheffield and stuff. So, I, mean, I was just probably surprised when people, when people knew me, but I think um, Sheffield's like Liverpool, big, big fighting city. You're fighting a catch yeah. weight at the weekend. You made it easy. You made the weight, yeah. you made the weight quite easy. Yeah, the, the fight was made at 159, and um, that's just below middle, but I want to make a, make a, a point that I can make like middle because a lot of people have said to me, oh, you're too big, you'd be, mm. be drained. So I weighed in 157, which is only £3 over, and I made that easy. So my poem was actually £3 heavier than me on the, on the day. Mm. And um, so you can see the size of me compared to them. I'm just just complete um, in great shape of this weight. And I do believe I'm, I'm a big problem for a lot, a lot of like middleweights out there. You've got some of them Canelo jeans, mate. That's what you've got, haven't you? I'll tell you, that rehydration works for you, sunshine. Yeah, I put, I put, I put £8 on and got in the ring a nice, strong, nice, strong fighter. Yeah. And I, I lost a lot bigger in the night than, than my opponent. So what's the crack with Newcastle then? Is that are you going to drop it even further, or are you going back in at that uh, catch weight? Where you, what are you doing? Um, I don't really see the point of, of, of making championship limit just for just for these fights at the minute. Hmm. I don't want to be don't want to be a long like a lot hard to make the weight. So at the moment I'm trying to weigh in like comfortable round one five seven one five eight like like all fighters do. Yeah. Everyone does. No, no one wakes the championship fight until they got a tight on the line. So I'm trying to weigh in round that, and then eventually when we do step up, hopefully. Next year, I want to be with the champion, so next year, we'll, we'll start making it closer to the time. Well, just on that, Anthony, right, because I've, me and Nick, who do the show together, we, we have a little bit of a bugbear regarding these elite amateurs like yourself that are um, are not, let's just say, match-made 
to the standard that they are used to earlier on in the career. And I'm pointing towards maybe Michael Conlon at the weekend, right? He fought a kid at the weekend, and I thought, what's the point in him fighting this guy because he's just blown him away? Similar to yourself, you're an elite amateur, six-time ABA champion, right? You must have in your head, and I've no doubt you've spoken to Eddie about this, a timescale of how quickly this goes for you now. What? How are you seeing the next 12 to 18 months? Are we talking British, Commonwealth, European titles? At what stages are you seeing this? I, I have to give myself a, I have to give myself a four-year plan. I, I want to be world champion in four years. That's, that's my that's my objective is. So I'm breaking it down year by year. Like this year, this is just about learning. This year, I'm, I'm not looking at no titles this year. Hmm. Next year, maybe a Commonwealth and a British title. Hmm. The year after, European, and then after the four years, start looking, looking towards world titles. That, that, that's realistic for myself. We'll start with what he finished with there. His plan, his four-year plan yeah. to become world champion. With him, I mean, I said to him there, one of uh, mine and yours biggest bugbears regarding these elite amateurs that turn professional, uh, bad matchmaking at the start of their career whilst they're being plodded along. They don't need to be plodded along. He's a six-time ABA champ. Let's get him speeded up. Now, I was alluding to the fact that he might be fighting for a British title within his, within his next six fights. He was saying he doesn't want to concentrate on titles for a year, yep. but his four-year plan is to become world champion. That long-term plan is realistic, but would you not expect him to be fighting for a British title a little bit quicker than he's he's talking? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'd like to, you know, looking at next summer, I would have thought I'd like to see him in the mix. I, you know, I want to see Anthony Fowler having six fights a calendar year minimum, you know, so for the rest of this year, another four fights this year would be great. Well, he's already out uh, in Newcastle, 23rd of June, I think it is. Yeah. Back end of June, he's going to be fighting in so Newcastle. So we want him to stay as busy as possible, you know, so if he can squeeze that in. So this time next year, really, we should be talking about almost his 10th fight would be ideal. Uh, and I think around the 10th fight stage, he should be talking about, certainly talking about titles. I know, and he said then, you know, he wants to put titles out of his mind. Mm. However, this is a guy that's one of the most experienced amateur boxers the country's ever seen. You know, multiple, multiple-time national champion, fought at the Worlds, went to the Olympics, everything else, Commonwealth Games, medal. Captain of that squad in Captain Rio. Captain the Olympic team in mm. Rio, yeah, exactly. So this is a guy that does not need a ton of pro fights, but what he does need is to build a relationship with Dave Caldwell, to build his pro style, because for me, Anthony Fowler had a very pro style prior to really breaking through at the top of the Olympic food chain, the Team GB food chain. I think the more he's been with GB, the more he's become amateur, if mm. that if that makes sense. Well, he was, he was talking there, wasn't he, about they, they train as a group of people. So it's not one-on-one specific training, yeah. it's a group of people, and I suppose that's a one-size-fits-all thing Well, exactly, amateurs. and the reason they do that is because Team GB is all about winning medals, it's in place mm. to win bouts, and how you win an amateur bout is by the scoring system. It's very different from a pro fight. Mm. You know, you don't necessarily score big for putting somebody down or land, land on body shots. Body shots don't really register in the amateur game. Mm. You know, so it's a completely different style of body and it's kind of like fencing they're teaching these guys to fence that's to land scoring punches that are going to catch the eyes of the judges that are going to win rounds and win bouts and win medals yeah. pro game's completely different and Anthony Fowler had a very much a pro style that golden gloves I've talked about it before golden gloves South Liverpool style it's Mexican that Mex- exactly <laughs> or most fights like a Mexican you know that style Jazza Dickens is a product of that system as well uh, you can see that in their style. I think that's what he's got to get back to. For me, he needs to work on his footwork. He needs to improve his footwork. He needs to improve his defence. He needs to get that sharpness back. Concentrate more on the jab. If you Anthony Fowler on Saturday, you know, take away, we'll come on to the, the misdemeanor if you like. The performance was great. He's super aggressive, walks forward, lands bombs, mm. brilliant. Mm. There's no longevity 
to fight like that all the time. Mm. He's got it. What Dave Caldwell would want him to do is win a fight with his jab, win a fight without being hit. Win a fight boring. Exactly, yeah. Not necessarily boring, but just be far superior to your opponents. Yeah. That you're just toying with them. Baba bang, baba bang. The knockouts will come. Obviously, Saturday was always going to be one of those events that you just, just get it out the way. Just get it out the way. Just get him in there. Let it, let that adrenaline dump go. Because this is something that Anthony Fowler's been, you know, boxing. Let's let's be honest, he's been boxing like a professional for the last five or six years. Because on the TGB setup, you may they are pros. They're getting paid, I don't know, thirty, forty grand a year. They're getting lottery funding. They've got mm. sponsors. They're basically pros. So he's already been a pro professionally for a long time. In attitude. In attitude. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But. The mentality of finally being a professional boxer and getting paid to fight, getting wages at the end of it. As in price A fighting. promoter yeah, yeah, yeah. on Sky, on box office, completely different. But his entire career has led to this. Throughout his career, people like me have said to him, you're going to be amazing as a pro. Your style is suited to pro. So all this pressure of all these years has built up on his shoulders. Saturday was always going to be, let's just get it out the way. Mm. Thankfully, it's out the way. He got the stoppage. We got away with a little misdemeanor there, but there's much more to work with. It's very much the early days. The best thing is let's just keep him busy, and he'll get there. He'll get to where he needs to be. He puts the uh, misdemeanor, as you're alluding it to, down to uh, that adrenaline. It's his first time out. He's absolutely pumped up. Yeah, he wasn't the only one to commit a couple nope. of misdemeanors at the weekend on the undercard. We'll speak about it more on episode one or five of our podcast, available on FightDisciples.com tomorrow morning. Uh, but it seemed like all the Olympian lads fancied uh, a little, uh, a few sly digs. What we're talking about is basically during Anthony's fight, there were his, his opponent was grounded. Anthony hit him whilst he was grounded. Yeah. As did uh, Lawrence Okola. He did that to his opponent. And then on the break, I think, in Joe Cordina's fight, the referee called break. And then on the break of the two fighters separating, he chucked a, a sneaky one he in threw there. right hand mm. at him, yeah. So, in essence, we could have had actually three disqualifications. We could have had three disqualifications at the weekend. Yeah, I think... Um Thankfully, it was the same. I think it was the same, same referee, referee for all three. for all three fights as yeah. well. So he obviously loves it. He yeah, exactly. Enough, he can't get enough of snide shots. He's obviously got a big union jack hanging <laughs> over his front door, and you know he's a massive Team GB fan. But uh, you know he used sense. He was oh, sensible about it. Defending him now. Go he on. was sensible, but sensible about it that these three young guys are just starting out, and there's a lot of pressure on the three of their shoulders. A lot of expectation. And I think the referee saw the bigger picture. I'm just glad it was a British referee on a British show because mm. if that had been anywhere else with a foreign referee or a fight, let's be honest, a f- against an opponent that was competitive, mm. you know, because this is early stage in all their careers, you know, Kadena and Akoli have had two. It was, it was Anthony's debut. Very early days. These guys are, are fighting largely international opponents who are being brought in to give them rounds and to let them experience a soft introduction, if you like, to the pro game. We know what it is. Mm. It was just I was just glad that the referee dealt with it in the best possible way. Um, let, let them get away with murder. Yeah, <laughs> literally. Uh, um, we've got uh, a little bit of a different take uh, coming up later on in the show because it's exactly, well, nearly exactly, yesterday... It was the year anniversary I know. of uh, Nick's greatest night ringside at uh, the boxing. Goodison Park is what we're referring to when Tony Bellew became the WBC Cruiserweight champion. So we're going to have a little bit of a, re- a relive of that because both me and Nick were ringside for that We're, last we're not going to play Z cars, are we? We're, no, we're going to do everything. We're going to sing songs. We're going to do all sorts. We're going to play the commentary. <laughs> that's what we're going to do. Uh, that's all coming up in part three of the show. But next, um, I'm going to argue that we are currently living through a golden era of boxing. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Radio City Talk. 
You're listening to the Fight Disciples podcast. Now then, these, let's say, older statesmen in our game, Nick, they've been around for a bit of time and I've no doubt they've seen a lot more than what we've seen in our youthful uh, existence. When I say youthful, 36 and 40 years of age. I'm referring to geezers who are 60 plus, still doing what we do in the fight game. Now, obviously, they have rose-tinted glasses when they look back at the 1970s, even further afield, 1980s and, and what have you. And they refer to these particular eras as the golden era yeah. of boxing in general. Now, a lot of this came out um, from the weekend because obviously at the weekend we had Kelbrook versus Errol Spence Jr which we are going to be speaking about in great depth tomorrow morning on our podcast please subscribe to it you're not going to want to miss it alright it's called The Truth Hurts it's episode 105 and it's available on fightdisciples.com but these guys compete in the welterweight division £147. A lot of people will class that as the glamour division. I know that we've got the heavyweights, that's where the big boys are at, but because of the likes of Floyd Mayweather down the years, and we'll go further afield by uh, referring to Sugar Ray Leonard and people like that from back in the day, it's yeah. the glamour division. It's where the glitz and the glitz. There's a few quid knocking about, let's say, in the £147 division. Now, everybody has their own take on what is the golden era. Now, for me, a golden era in any particular <clears> weight <throat> division yeah. has to be defined by great boxers mm-hmm. and i use that as a plural fighting each other yeah and therefore it being extremely competitive at a very very elite level in that particular weight category now of course yes there are people out there that will go ray leonard hearns duran that's the golden era of the welterweight division and you can argue that all day long and i might agree with you on a lot of the points that you make yeah. then you'll get the kids that go de la hoya mosley whitaker trinidad that's the golden era of the 147-pound division. And I'd probably agree with you as well, because Pernell Whitaker's one of my favourites, as is Oscar De La Hoya, yours, my friend. Yep. Then you've got Floyd, Pacquiao, Cotto, Margarito. We could argue that they're the golden era of the 147-pound um, division. However, I'm going to argue that we're living through it right now, my friend, because I've made a little bit of a list of all the kids that are competing at 147 pounds at this moment in time. Are you ready for this? Cool. Are you ready? Amazing. We've got Keith Thurman in there. We saw Kelbrook at the weekend. We saw Errol Spence at the weekend. We've got Danny Garcia. We've got Sean Porter. We've got Andre Berto. We've got. We've even got Amir Khan knocking about. Then let's not mention Terence Crawford, who's currently 140, but will probably move up to 147 to make it even more competitive. Mm. How can you say that this is not the golden era in the welterweight? division i even started on the super middleweights or even on the heavyweights yet we're not even got there i'm just i just wanted to clarify that in my opinion this is a golden era and we, we shouldn't be looking back because you're going to miss it you're going to miss the golden era if you're constantly looking backwards yeah 100 completely agree one name i will add there that you missed out was Sam Eggington. Big Sam. Big Sam. He's he's got to be in there. He's going over to take Danny Garcia on next. (laughs) That's my Barry Hearn impression, by the way. But this is a golden era, isn't it? Of course it is. Well, this is a golden era for the welterweight division. Yeah, it's a golden era for the... You know, it's a, it's a transition era for the heavyweight division. That's what makes that so exciting right now. The Klitschko era is done. We're now in a new era of young flash heavyweights coming through as well. That's super exciting. Mm. But for me... This is the golden era of British boxing. Yeah. British boxing has never been as good as it is right now. We had 13 world champions last year. I think we've got 10 world champions left now. Mm. Active, yeah. Um, Listen, if if you're not enjoying boxing right now, if you're not a sports fan, 
Like, this is where it's at. Like, the Fight Disciples is huge because we are in a golden period for combat sports in the UK. Mm. And we shouldn't be looking back. We, sh- we shouldn't be looking back and, rem- and reminiscing about then because, as you just pointed out, you're missing out on the here and now. We are getting stadium fights up and down the country regular. Well, that's a point that you're. That's a very good point that you're making, right? Because if you're new to boxing and this is a new thing for you, how many stadium fights have you been to in your existence as a, a, as a fan? Let's say you started this time last year, yeah. and the first fight you went to was Bellu Macabu. Yeah, right. You could have gone there. You could have gone AJ Klitschko. We just had one at the weekend. That's yeah. three. Bramall Lane. Yeah. I don't think. I think I've done three in my whole career. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because they're not. They're not the norm from no. where I come from this isn't like you just said this don't take this for granted this is very very special and I know that we we do big him up every now and again but he did get his booze at the weekend did Eddie didn't he, he yeah, they, they, they had a go at Eddie again the pantomime <laughs> villain I don't know why he's getting so much but he's getting tons but you've got to understand that five years ago Sky didn't want to really invest in British boxing look no. at all the channels that drop British boxing Yeah, your BBC's your ITV's all the channels dropped it. It wasn't on the television. Sky got rid of... They had the Ringside TV show, which was every Thursday night, I think. Yep. They cut the budget for it. It went. It's gone online now. That's right. Uh, and there's a, another podcast. They, they, all yep. these things are, are no longer there. They got rid of every promoter except Matchroom. Well, because Matchroom came with a proposition. They yep. went, here we go. Right. Okay, you're going to bin it. We'll take control of it. We'll run it for you. All you've got to do is turn up with your TV cameras. Now, of course, when they started... It wasn't great. It was slowly, slowly catchy monkey. But now they're at a situation where, yeah, we'll get fans morning. We'll pay per view. 17 quid for this, 17 quid. But five years ago, it was dead. It yeah, was yeah. gone. We weren't getting it whatsoever. Yes, of course, we want these fighters to be recompensed for their talents. We want them to be paid well. That's how they make money through pay per view. So mm-hmm. think of it like that. You're not lining Eddie's pocket, even though Eddie's making a few quid out of it. He is, all right. But you're not lining his pocket. You're lining Anthony Joshua's pocket. Yeah, you're Kel Brook. Kel Brook's pocket. Tony or Bell, Tony yeah. Bell's pocket. You, you're, putting mo- you're putting them in a financial situ- decent financial situation because of their talent. See it that way. And then off the back of that, what we'll get is a lovely filter down where we're getting shows every Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Like, we've got that Next Generation show. Anthony Fowler's just been talking about the Next Generation show, which is happening in Newcastle. Yep. All these young lads coming through. Bags of talent. Josh Kelly, we love Josh Kelly. Yeah, we yeah. think he's going to be brilliant. You've got Anthony on there. You've got other lads on there. That's, a, that's part of your Sky subscription. Of course. Shows like that would not be happening if at the top level... There wasn't any money there. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's filtering down. We need to celebrate this fight. Well, I say there's a there's a reason why now Channel Five are putting fights on again. There's Friday night we had another one. Didn't ITV a dipping a toe in. Okay, we don't we don't agree with the fact that ITV went straight in with a pay per view in their second <laughs> production. That wasn't that wasn't the smartest thing in the world. But BT Sport are involved again now. Mm. You know through through their deal with Frank Warren. Listen to come back to the point with Channel Me. This is it right now. Like this is this is. Well, hopefully it gets... I almost said this is as good as it gets. Hopefully well, it's about it to is. get Let's even be better. Straight. We're just getting a lot of it. I think it. it's going to get even better. I think British boxing right now is booming. I think everyone's waking up to the fact that not only is it... See, success breeds success. We've got success at the highest level. We've got multiple world champions for the first time in history. We are really making our mark on the sport on a global stage. The fans are recognising that, where the fans' eyeballs go, the TV money goes because the marketing comes, the sponsorship and the advertising. Like this is, it, We're really now in this, to come back to the term, golden age. Yeah. That we've got to embrace it, enjoy it, mm-hmm. and, and, and ride it because it won't last forever. Like everything, it, it comes in cycles. Mm. But where's this going to take us? 
let's be honest, Anthony Joshua is at the front of this charge of British boxing on the world stage. And he is going to be around for at least another 10 years. Mm. Where's it going to take us? And what a fantastic time to be a young international British boxer now to think, wow, next Olympic Games, then a go with it. This, there's a real stepping stone of progress yeah. now where you can go from being a club fighter, a club level in your local club in West Derby or whatever it may be in the country. There's a real route now to becoming champion of the world and fighting in Las Vegas because there's people actually doing it. For Just just to try and ram home where we're at as, as Britain at this moment in time in this sport, Javonta Davis, yeah? Mm -hmm. He is the IBF champion at Super Featherweight who came over to the UK to defend his crown against Liam Walsh. He didn't have to do that. He did it because him and his team, Floyd Mayweather, appreciate that it's booming over here. If you go over to America at this moment in time, obviously they are competing with the UFC when it comes to pay-per-views and eyes on television. So therefore, they understand, or there's rumours in America that... Their sport is dwindling. Boxing's dead is what they say in America. It's not, but they're saying boxing's dead when yeah. we're talking about the numbers game. Pay-per-view, in terms of pay-per-view, yeah. You compare their pay-per-view to our pay-per-view and we're smashing the living daylights out of it. That's why Floyd's coming over here. So when exactly. You, that, don't take that for granted. Stuff like that doesn't happen. Javonta Davis coming to the UK to fight when he's already the champ. It's not like the Errol Spence situation at the weekend where he was the mandatory yep. to come and try and to take a title. We've seen that before. Of course we have. But when the champs come in here to defend here against the homegrown talent, that's a unique situation, and that should really ram home where we're currently at as a nation in this sport. Yeah, and Anthony Joshua again to come back to the, to the big lad. Anthony Joshua holds the key to world boxing because potentially he's the biggest star of them all. Mm. Now his next fight, in my opinion, will more than likely be in the US, purely to promote the fact that. He is such a big star and to capture that US market. But his career will be played out in the UK, I believe. I don't think we'll get another Lennox Lewis situation where he just comes back to fight Bruno or whatever else. He doesn't have to do that. Anthony Joshua can bring people here. Wembley Stadium could be his venue twice a year. That's the way it could play out. He could just fight at Wembley twice a year in and around the football season or whatever Mm. and fill it out every single time. And be the and be the best heavyweight boxer on the planet. Well, as I said to you when I went to um, Joshua Klitschko when you were messing about that award ceremony that we picked that trophy up from, the thing that um, that raised my eyes the most, and I'm see, I, you hear this this term all the all the time, casual fan. You hear mm. that all the time, right, from people that are a little bit snobby with boxing. Now, I'm not one of those. I would class myself as knowing a little bit about the stuff. You've been in this game a long, long period of time. But I love casual fans coming to the game because yeah. I understand what that means for the sport. It un- it grows. Yeah, all right. They might not know as much or whatever it may be. They might have different opinions on certain things. They might say stuff that I don't agree with. However, they're into the sport. They're paying money to come and watch the sport, and that's good for the sport. And the thing that I noticed in an Anthony Joshua fight is that I've never seen a demographic like that ever, anywhere, at mm-hmm. any... It wasn't, it wasn't like a boxing match. It was... It was like a pop concert. There was old women there. There were young women there. There were old fellas there. There were young fellas there. There were groups of lads. There were singing. There were people that on their own. I'm just want to go and watch Anthony Joshua. Yeah. That's how big that was. They were there for one dude. They were there for one guy. And like you're right, he does hold the key. If he keeps hold of that key and he keeps dominating this division, then who knows where this can go? Because that's the glamour division, the heavyweight division, as we just yeah. said. And it all filters down from there. If he's here and he's fighting at Wembley, 
Who's not going to want to be on that piece? Who's not going to want a piece of that pie? Everybody's exactly. going to want to be on that undercard. And especially if his performances and his, his fights are as entertaining wow. as that Klitschko fight. Yeah. Now, that was the best version of Klitschko we've ever seen. Never mind Anthony Joshua. That was one of the best heavyweight title fights we've ever seen. It was mm. super entertaining, certainly on knee shorts. So it's to ride that momentum. And as you say, I'm like you. I love casual fight. I love people who describe themselves as a casual fight fan because they're the fight people that are going to grow this market and make it bigger and put boxing on more channels because the more casual fans you have, they become real fans and hardcore fans and they want it more. And then suddenly the pressure's on other broadcasters and other channels. Wow, we've got to get on this boxing thing because everybody wants it. it. Everybody wants it. Mm. Supply and demand. No, absolutely. Um, and, and with that, I encourage you once again not to take this for granted because it will turn. It, it's cyclical. It yeah, always yeah. turns. I mean, we've had some we've had some dire times as, yeah, <laughs> as yeah. British fight fans. It's Hell like yeah. going, been crying out for a champ. Come on, just give us one. Just give us one yeah. champ so we can Listen, someone I, fly I, the flag. I, I spent about five or six years of my professional career travelling up and down the UK, never going to a venue bigger than a sports centre, mm. watching British, European, and occasional, you know, alphabet soup world title fights. Mate, you're not a proper you're not a, a proper boxing journalist unless you've done that. Well, my first fight... My, but what I mean is, nowadays, you don't oh, yeah, need to yeah, do yeah, that. Yeah, now yeah, it's yeah, yeah. arenas and stadiums every other weekend. Yeah, like, yeah. Enjoy it. It's yeah. amazing. Listen, you don't have to go to the De Vere, uh, Hotel in Bolton anymore, which only holds about 150 people, which is what the first place that I ever went to. I don't even think there are 150 in it. I think there are about 60 in it. <laughs> I was literally in the corner holding the spit bucket for the first fight. And then I was only there as a fan. But you, you are exactly right. We are being spoiled at this moment in time. Please don't take it for granted because it will be cyclical. It will change. We will go back to it being normal, fighting in the good arenas. Yeah. I don't think we're ever going to go back to sports. Sp- I hope again. not. I hope <laughs> yeah. not. No, no offence to Everton Park Sports Centre, yeah. but, but if I end up back there watching boxing again, <laughs> I'm jacking. I'll cover cricket instead. Yeah, we'll cover the cricket. Yeah, so don't take it for granted. Take full advantage of it. Milk it for all it's worth because there's plenty coming. And if all the rumours are true, Anfield's going to be another stadium hosting yep. some Callum fights Smith, next year. come on, it's going to happen. You've just mentioned AJ back at Wembley, I've no doubt, at some point. We're going to be speaking about AJ and all this stuff that's going on with the IBF on tomorrow's show, so make sure you're with us for that, fightdisciples.com. Now, speaking of stadium fights, see how I'd, I'd, we kind of shoe on everything <laughs> in, the way that we send this show off Very on Very professional. Oh, you know what I mean? That's what we do. We like to uh, segue, I think the actual technical term is, my friend. Um, we are segueing into probably the most... Um, most memorable stadium fight, definitely of recent times, probably of all times if you're a Merseyside uh, yeah. boxing fan, and maybe further afield as well if you were there with us on that night. Well, this is good, so we're going to get onto this in the third part, but you've basically just said it was bigger than Klitschko AJ at Wembley. For a feeling, <laughs> for a feeling, yeah. Maybe. We'll get, <laughs> we will get to it in a we minute. We will. We'll get to the bottom of that. We will get to that bottom in a minute because it's uh, a year and a day uh, since uh, Anthony Bellew became the WBC Cruiserweight Champion of the World. He did it at Goodison in a real-life rocky story. We are talking about it next on Radio City Talk. This is the Fight Disciples podcast. Subscribe now via the iTunes store. Now, as we've just been saying, don't take for granted the golden era of boxing, which we are currently... Uh, enjoying and a lot of that is down to these fantastic stadium fights that we're also currently enjoying we had one at the weekend okay the result didn't necessarily go a british fight fans way um but the event itself was absolutely fantastic a couple of weeks previous we were down at wembley for some aj klitschko the fight was amazing we got the result that we wanted and what an event that was and this has kind of been dripping away dripping away in the background these stadium fights which for me and nick probably kicked off 
this time last year. Well, this time in a day last year, where we both rocked up ringside, second row. Oh, we were in there. We were right in there. We were at Goodison Park, Everton Football Club, uh, to see Nick's old mate, boiled pals, Tony Bellew, hopefully achieve his dream of becoming the WBC Cruiserweight Champion of the World. Now, a year and a day on, we know exactly what happened. He took on Elungan Mikabu and he knocked him out in the third round. We, I want to take you back, before we talk about that fight, Nick, I want to take you back to 1993. Hairs on the behind. Well, no, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute, because everybody will have an opinion on stadium fights and going to stadium fights. Yeah. My first stadium fight um, was Ricky Hatton at Etihad Stadium. Oh, yeah. It was off the back of the Floyd Mayweather defeat. Yeah. Malinaji was on the undercard when he had his haircut in the corner. Yeah. All that type of stuff, right? So that, I think that was my first one, which was okay. It was, Ricky got a win. It was an all right fight. It was was an all right day out. Yeah, it was an all right day out. But yours, your first stadium fight back in 93 as a young whippersnapper with Mr. Pete. Yeah, yeah. Going down the M62. Let me tell you, yours is one for the, one for the uh, historian. I think, I think mine, to be honest, um, was there because I'd always loved boxing. My dad's always been a massive boxing fan, so I'd always loved boxing. And my cousin, who uh, who runs Golden Star ABC over the over on the Whittle, actually Carl Teasdale, he uh, he's still uh, coaching kids over there now. Absolute diamond. He fought in the ABAs, and I remember going to watch him in the ABAs and everything else. So I was always around boxing, and my dad always had the boxing on at home and everything else. So I was always subjected to it, but I would never got. The first big event, I remember him taking me to shows at Everton Park, or as I say, to the ABAs and whatever else when I was a kid. But I remember he surprised me when I was 16, took me to Castle Grayskull. And obviously, Old Trafford, by the way, just in case people are a bit confused with your language. Yeah, as a, as a staunch Liverpool fan, I've never set foot in the place before or since and not, wouldn't want to. Not However, even as an away fan? No, I couldn't handle it, couldn't handle it. <laughs> And, uh, so, I hope Tyson Fury fights then. We have to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, 93, October 93, my dad's packed me in a minibus with with all his, all his footy mates. It was, it was like his satty footy team lads, mm. jolly boys out and up to Old Trafford. And I think I found out about it on the way there. I've got no recollection of knowing about it. But anyway, we get there and we've got seats on the floor as well. Decent seats. And it's Eubank versus Nigel Ben. Wow. For the world title. Well, it's two world titles, actually, both the WBC and WBO super middleweight titles. And at that point, I was a massive Nigel Ben fan, but I also loved Eubank. Yeah, you know, sure, I was a, man. Quite a flip flopper. Yeah. And uh, I can't remember who walked out first. I'm guessing it was Eubank come out as simply the best. I remember just like soaking up the moment and saying to me, Dad, that's it. I'm, I'm supporting Eubank. This is amazing. Eubank all the way. Wow, fantastic. And then Nigel Ben come out to like this. It was like a rave tune, like the drums. And I just completely flip-flopped within a second. It was like, oh, I've got Nigel Ben. I'm going to support Nigel Ben. And it was just, it was an unbelievable experience. I'll never forget it. I, I, you know, I even remember certain rounds. Now, when I watch it back on YouTube, I'm like, wow, I remember that actual moment. And I, th- I don't know if it was the fact that it was scored a draw and it was such a great fight and a great occasion. But I kind of come away from that and thinking... I want to be a part of that more. Yeah. Like, I need that more. It's like a drug. It's like, wow. It is. I need to experience that more. You know, and it was similar to standing on the cop 
you know, my uncle used to take me on the cop all the time and everything else when we when uh, when I was a kid. My dad played football, but so my uncle used to take me the cop and we'd walk up through from Toxteth all the way to the ground and we'd stop at the butchers and we'd buy chicken legs and ribs and we'd get in and, we'd, and it was all standing and we'd stand at the back of the cop and we'd be surrounded by bones of chicken legs before the game. We'd get in like two hours before the game started and that was all part of it. And for me, I still have memories of that when I go to Anfield now and I sit on the cop. I still remember when Uncle H used to take me and a whole nostalgia. And I st- I, when I go to stadium shows at boxing, I kind of feel the same way. You know, I think about when my dad took me to Old Trafford, what it was like, the sounds, the noises. And knowing you just feel comfortable somewhere. Yeah. Just thinking, wow, this is it. This is it for me. This is my drug. This is my passion. Mm. And from there, I was hooked. And I, I, I honestly think that moment at Old Trafford, that experience led to what became a career. Mm. There's... There's going to the arenas, yeah, and then there's going to the stadiums to watch it. I mean, you've been fortunate enough. You've been out to Vegas. You've done you've done yeah. quite a lot done abroad. Some big ones. You've done some big ones, right? Yeah. But there's something quite special about the open air oh, stadium yeah. fight, especially if you get a good day. I mean, we've seen the ones in Cardiff, for example, when it were absolutely lashing it down that yeah. time. All those times where you're thinking, "Oh bloody hell!" I mean, even at the weekend. It would t- it would thunderstorming near my house, and I'm thinking, bloody hell, I hope it's covered tonight. That's going to be yeah. that's going to be a shocker if they're slipping and sliding all over the gaff. But when you get a good weathered day, everybody's in good spirits. There's something quite—I don't know what the word is to describe it—but there's something quite well unique is probably the word. Something quite unique about a stadium fight. It's not a football match no. anymore. Stadium, no. it, it, it's a fight. It's weird in the centre circle yeah. of a footy pitch. And you're on the pitch, and you're you're, walking on the plastic. Yeah, you're on the pitch, yeah. The platforms and everything else, so you're not on the grass, and it's just weird. The Mm. the, the whole setup and the dynamic of a stadium event is weird. And what I love most, and I noticed this on Saturday as well, is the early fights, it's the middle of the day. Yeah. And then as the sun goes down, the fights get more and more important. The quality gets better and better and better. And obviously, it all comes like when I remember, like, Flash, flashing back to Tony Bellew well let's go to that that's Bukabu. what, that's what that was the moment and like we're in there and, we're, and we're, we get in and we're, we got there for the first fight we, we did of course we did yeah yeah we get into ringside we realise wow we are two rows from the ring this is phenomenal what an experience this is going to be and then the early fight started obviously all the Smith brothers were on yeah. and it was the middle of the day you yeah, know yeah, and yeah. Tom Farrell was on and JJ Metcalf and all Jed Carroll all these young Merseyside boxers are on early Masha, doors. Masha came on. Masha came on a bit later on, yeah. Big Pricey was on there. You know, it really felt like an occasion. I remember it being actually, swe- when Smigger were on, I, I remember it being absolutely sweltering. I yeah, had my yeah. sunglasses on watching him. Yeah, That's crazy. how hot it was. It was it crackers. Was. Yeah. It was bonkers. Mm. And, but it was all building and, the, the, you know, it was just getting gradually darker and the stands were just filling up more and more. And that atmosphere, that almost like a football ground atmosphere yeah. starts to build, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's strange. And then obviously when Zed cars come on. Obviously Do you feel like it's a bit like a pop concert? Yeah, yeah. Very you know, much so, yeah, you've yeah. Had your support, of course. You've had your support act. That's right. But you're waiting for the main attraction. Exactly. And because of the outdoor feel, you feel like you're at a bit of a festival. Yeah, yeah, completely. I completely agree with that, completely. And then like you've just said, Zed cars kicks Zed in. Zed cars, come else. on. And, you know, I'll say for me... The comparison I always make and and annoys a lot of Liverpool fans, and, and that's fair enough. But listen, I was at both, so I can draw the comparison, whether you like it or not. But for me, it was it's second only to Istanbul because Istanbul 2005 was two thousand and five Champions League final. Exactly, Istanbul was the most amazing experience, professional experience of of my life, and as a fan, it was just unbelievable. 
the entire trip for any any Liverpool and any Liverpool fan that went who's listened to the show now will go. I was there, and what he's saying is right. Everything about it was right. The journey to the stadium, the walk into the, the, the atmosphere outside, the fact we were there for three nights. The way you won the game. Everything, the way we won the game, of course. Everything about it was phenomenal. Not just the 120-plus the penalties that it was. <laughs> you know, not, e- not even that. Everything about that trip to Istanbul was so unreal. The way we conquered, like, the, the Taksim Square, and we were drinking all night, and we were singing, and, and it was so jovial, and everything about it was perfect. And I kind of... Bellew was a bit like that as well. Goodison was like that. The day was perfect. Yeah. The undercard was perfect. The right Liverpool lads in the right places, winning fights, but all carried along with it as well. Yeah, yeah. I remember speaking to Pricey before Bellew was on and he was bouncing around like a little schoolboy. Yeah, yeah. The Smith family, obviously, they grew up with Bellew pretty much. They're all bouncing around. I think it really it kicked, occasion. I think it kicked off and it went up a level when Masha won because yeah, that yeah. was an occasion for Masha. Masha became a champion that day as well. Yeah. And when he did, it was like, whoa, because Pricey, I think, had already been on and we were yeah. dead nervous for Pricey because it was one of his comebacks. He come back, he does a job, gets a knockout victory. Right, that's a monkey off my back now. We can all chill and enjoy it. I didn't have any major expectations of Masher. He comes on, gets a victory. Yeah. And then, like you just said, because Masher's fans are so uh, boisterous and noisy, the atmosphere, people just caught on it. And all right, people were having a bevy and all that type yeah, of stuff. Yeah. But people just caught it. And that wave of noise just kept going and going and going and going. Swifty comes on, he wins his, and you're thinking, bloody hell, it's Liverpool are taking over here. Yeah. And then, of course, it's... It's showtime when the when the old drums and the uh, air raid sirens go off for Z cars. Exactly, and then when you know to come out to Z cars, I say, I, you know, I'm a Liverpool fan. Z cars until that moment, I'll be honest, Z cars meant nothing to me as a soundtrack. It really didn't. You know, I, I'm not my my wife's a mad Evertonian, and my wife's family, you know, there's something wrong with them as well. They're all Evertonians. <laughs> My dad, as you know, works for Everton. He's, mm. He works at the academy and stuff. So I've got a bit of an affinity to that club. But Z cars not really does anything for me but from since that moment since Tony Bellew's walk out to Z cars after the every time I hear it now the hairs on the back of my neck stand up you, you're at that moment because I'm at that moment I'm there I'm seeing Tony Bellew stop remember when he stopped the security guards and looked up at the Gladys Street and then did like a little wave to the Gladys or he nodded his head or whatever just he did it in. Just he just it soaked in. it in yeah and I remember watching that on a jumbo screen going my goodness he's he's drinking in every single moment of this mm. and I'm you know I, I was so happy for him for doing that because it's like everything it's like when you get married people say to you take a minute out of your day because it goes so fast you flies by and at the end of it you go wow what a great day but I don't remember anything Yeah, take a moment out of the day grab your wife pull you to one side and go well look at this look at all our friends and family enjoying themselves what an amazing day and that, that's a, the best bit of advice you can have about a wedding the best bit of advice about a moment like this that someone said to Tony Bellew before you get the ring just stop Look around, look at the Gladys, look at where you are and go, right, wow, this is my moment. And then he gets in the ring and what happened was incredible. Well, the, all the backstory as well with the film. Yep. He's just been in the film. That was obviously film where it was filmed. He shot that and then he's coming back. You've just mentioned the ring walk. Then he gets in the actual ring and the performance... It's only three rounds long. This is the thing. It's three rounds long. This but- comes back to what we were talking about in part two of tonight's show about epic era moments. Mm. It was a Hagler Haynes kind of performance. If, if, if looking back in history, we pick out a Thomas Haynes performance where he did something like that, and oh, what was the greatest ever? This is why we're talking about Tony Bell. He wins this heavyweight title coming up. He's going to get a statue in this city because that performance alone warranted it. Mm. What a performance! Down in the first round. <sighs> Do you know something? I've been to a few fights with you now, right? 
and you can't. I've got, well, I've learned of, after 20 years of sitting ringside, I've learned to you know be professional. The, the, well, be calm. He is, I'm I'm the opposite. I get into it, proper into it, because I become a fan again. Yeah. <laughs> I, I lose all my professional head and just go nuts. He's dead calm, just chilled. He's being analytical. He's going, oh, yeah, he's footwork. Look at him. He needs to be moving to the left here. He needs to be avoiding that big right hook. If you watch this kid here, he's this, that, and the other. And I'm thinking, all right, yeah, sound. It's like having uh, Richie Woodall commentating me. <laughs> How dare you? I'm only joking. <laughs> but you're giving me the analysis in, in the side, and you're dead calm with it. That is the only time I have never seen. He was apoplectic. He was going crackers from the first round. Obviously, Tony's up. Up until he gets knocked down in that first round, he's up. Yep. Dominating it nicely. He's putting in some power shots. Looks good. Looks good. He's shouting in my ear. He's jumping all over my back. He's like, oh, God, oh, watch yourself, Tony. Watch yourself. And then when Tony goes down, honestly, silence. <laughs> Complete silence. Yep. Didn't say another thing. After the, you didn't say anything through, throughout the whole of the second round, and then at the end of the second round, he goes, "He's right. He's back on it now. He's back on it. I'm all right with him now. He's all right." And that's right. He did. He come yeah, out. Yeah. He boxed very sensibly. He kept him at the end of his jab. He probably took that second round. Mm-hmm. And then going into the third round, we know what happened. Honestly, if in hindsight, hindsight is a wonderful thing. I wish somebody would have filmed us at that particular moment, right? Yeah. Because it would be the best, best. Jeremy Beadle video of all time ever. You were going absolutely... My, honestly, I need a chiropractor. My back is in absolute <laughs> mess. I can't blooming, I can't be blooming piggybacking a cruiserweight. I'll tell you now. I can't be, mate. Thanks for saying I'm a cruiserweight. <laughs> <laughs> but for you, obviously, emotion's involved in that. It's your pal. He's done yeah. what he's done. You know the, the journey that he's been on. You know what it all means to him. You know what it means to you. That particular moment, does that eclipse... Bernie Eubank, does that eclipse anything that you've ever seen before? I know that you've compared it to Istanbul. Yeah. The best stadium fight that you've ever been to. Uh, oh, yeah. Best stadium fight I've ever been to, definitely. Uh, to be honest with you, it's probably the best boxing event I've ever been to. And that's on both sides of the Atlantic. Best fight sports. You know, I've been at some, I've been fortunate enough to be at some pretty huge UFC events. You know, I was there at ringside when Anderson Silva, the, the guy they call the greatest of all time, lost, got knocked out for the very first time. I was front row centre there then. That was an epic moment. I've been at a couple of Mayweather fights. I was there when Pacquiao knocked out Ricky Hatton. Yeah. You know, I've been at some big ones. Most of Naz's fights I was at, um, including Steve Robinson in Wales, which was a vintage performance. That was a stadium fight. That was incredible. But I think because of the backstory, because this is my city, because I know Tony Bellew on a personal level, because I know, well, as we like to describe him, I know Tony Bellew like everybody else, but I also know Anthony Bellew because he's a friend of mine and a friend of the family and a, a, a real mate, someone I would call a mate. So because of that journey that he's been on, and I know how many times he's been doubted. And I've I've been in bars and I've been in public forums defending Tony Bellew, saying, no, he's this and he's that. And people going, oh, he's a flash in the pan. He's just a puncher. He's just that. He's just this. Well, now he's just WBC Cruiserweight Champion of the World. And for me, that was like that moment last year when it happened, that release of adrenaline was from... I, I felt it as well. I was like, I kind of felt I was justified. Like I've been saying this guy's world class and going to be world champion for a decade and most people have been saying, no, 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 no. Never, never going to happen. People in, in the industry as well. So to have that release, to, for him to do it, and do it in the manner he did it as well, by getting into a gun show with a knockout artist and finishing him in the third round after climbing up off the canvas, it was just like the perfect moment at the perfect location. I'm not going to play Zed Cars. We're just going to finish with a little bit of commentary. Here's the highlights from what happened uh, this time last year at Goodison Park. Have a wonderful evening. 
Enjoy this, and we'll catch you next week. Yeah, I like the attitude of Bill He's thinking what he's doing here. And Makabu against the ropes then comes out again. But you'll see this with Makabu on tape. But these are nice, solid, hurtful punches that are coming in from Bellew. And Makabu is shipping a lot of punishment here. Hook's got to keep his head, though. He's dangerous like that! The left hand spun him over right on the bell. I want to look at his eyes here, Matt. I don't think there was a damage in shot. The fact that he didn't crumple to the floor, he tumbled over. He's got to stay active with that. Nice little right to the body there. Makabu very much on the front foot. Bellew does land the hook. Makabu backing up and getting out of trouble. Bellew's got to stay patient here, though. He's been here before, but Makabu... If he's leaning back, he's not going to get taller in his shots, but he's heavy-handed. That was a good left hook he got home with. The good work from Bellew, he's taken too many chances he's now. He's got to be careful. Solid shots, but Makabu looks like he's in serious trouble now. Is this it? The legs are buckled. Bellew's going for it. Bellew flat out here. What Picardo got is in trouble. He stopped. Bellew's done it. Hamilton, finish the park, goes berserk. He's destroyed Picardo. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe via iTunes.